0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have the entire Yankees Magazine Publications crew. Kind of think of this as if we invited you all to our little holiday party. We have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanisiri. Hello, everybody. What's up, Al? Our executive editor, Nathan
2: Makaborski. Hello there, everyone.
1: Hey, Nate. And of course, we have joining us our... Chief photographer, senior photography editor. I don't know how many titles she has these days, but Arielle Goldman-Hecht. What's up, Ari?
3: Hi, guys. Hi. Well, thank
1: you for joining us. I think that uh, every so often it's nice if we can add some people to this other than me, Nate, and Al. So, Ari, thanks for doing this with us today.
3: Anytime. Nice to see everyone virtually.
2: Likewise.
1: It, it's been a year. I think the last time we were all in one place together in person was maybe the one day that we overlapped in Tampa. Is that right? back in February?
0: That sounds right. I mean, it's, it's been a year. It's amazing how, you know, thinking back to spring training, it's, and I've heard so many people say this, it feels like it's gone fast, but at the same time, that feels like it was five years ago and not, you know, literally a matter of of months. It's, it's absolutely remarkable. You know, Al, I gotta, I gotta thank you because uh, when I was getting ready to head down
2: to Tampa for spring training this year, I was really kind of on the fence. I was thinking about perhaps surprising my, uh, my son and bringing him with me because my parents were going to be down there at the same time. And I was like, I don't know, you know, it's really a lot of kind of moving parts. And I I got a lot of work to do, but you really kind of uh, pushed me in the direction, like, you know, who knows, you know, when you're going to get another chance to do something like that. So you should really do it if you can. And uh, I thank you because especially after everything that's transpired, uh, in the last nine months or so, uh, I really appreciate,
0: you know, looking back on those memories of the, the time we had down there then. I remember that conversation and um, we talked for a while that day. I know you guys had a great time and I and I got to see part of it when we were all at the game together with your parents and Owen was there, Alfred was there. I guess it's more sentimental than any other spring training game I can think about because it's kind of like the the last game in a way I feel like I will ever have taken for granted. It was a really special day. It was That whole weekend was really special in a lot of ways. And I shared with, um, with Nathan yesterday, I was going through some old photos um, and I have a great photo of my wife and son from many, many years ago at Yankee Stadium. It was July 4th and it was my son's first Yankees game. And I was sharing that with Nathan, because we were all all the employees, families were in a suite. And Nathan's mom was actually the the person who took the the photo. So Ari, you're still a much better photographer than her. But she captured a a special moment in the suite for me that I'm always grateful for.
1: So this is obviously our last episode of 2020. I don't think that too many of us are going to, you know, seek out ways to remember 2020 all that fondly. But I do think we could use the next uh, hour or so to on the one hand, you know, maybe, maybe find some silver linings, things that we did enjoy getting to see and do in 2020. But also, as promised, this is our annual mailbag episode. We have a lot of amazing questions that we got from our listeners and our followers on Twitter and other things like that. So we will go through those in a bit, too. And as promised, every single person whose question we read on the air will get two free tickets to a Yankees game in the future and this is also a great time to mention that if you want another way to lock in uh, two free tickets at this point please 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 go to yankees.com/publications or call 800 go yank's even though uh, this is coming out on christmas eve and it might seem like the holiday season is over we are going to keep our holiday offers Up for a while longer. So, if you purchase any subscription to Yankees Magazine, you will get two free tickets. It is the best deal you could possibly get on tickets. So, I hope you'll uh, look into that. But, you know, why don't we move right into it? I guess the question I'll I'll just pose to all three of you, and uh, you know, someone can start running. Just forgetting about the nonsense of 2020 and and the weirdness. What's something that you're going to look back on from this year as a fond memory of what you got to see or do?
3: For me, I guess I'm in a little bit different category than you guys because I got to cover the games, not in the same capacity that I normally do since I wasn't on the field and was shooting in games from various elevated positions around the stadium. I was one of very few people that got to physically be in the stadium when the team was home and cover the games. And for me, it was nice to have that outlet. It was nice to be covering baseball it was nice to be in the stadium there's a lot of aspects of the game obviously that were missing but just being able to be there and document the history of the 2020 season is something that I'm very grateful for that I had the opportunity to do it just it also forced me to kind of take a step back from my traditional way of shooting the game and kind of approach it in a completely different way
1: I think that's a really great answer Ari and and I I, I certainly covered way fewer games than you did. But, you know, one of the things that I'm always going to just have have that I'll remember is, yeah, like those weird things. When, when I look back on this year and like everyone wonders what it was that happened, how we got through it. And it's like, yeah, you know, things were weird. But I also whether it was seeing Garrett Cole pitch in Yankee Stadium this year, or, you know, seeing Masiur Tanaka when he came back from that horrible incident, seeing David Garcia's first start, things like that. It helped me remember in a sense that this year actually did happen, that it wasn't just like this, you know, alien kind of thing that happened on another planet. Like, I mean, it, it was surreal, and it was bizarre. and I And I tried my hardest to document what it was actually like to follow baseball in twenty twenty and all the weird ways, but yeah, some of those days at the stadium, we always know I think all four of us on this call always know that we have a pretty cool job and we get to see some lucky things this year. It was really special I mean we really were among very, very few people in the world who got to see baseball at Yankee Stadium this year.
0: I agree, I think that's a great point i mean i I think back to um opening night, I think about you know the walk from my office down the steps to the to the 200 level out onto the concourse, and then it's a short walk to the press box. And, you know, if you don't give yourself enough time, generally, uh, you know, in a normal season, I guess, you know, that concourse can be packed and there's a lot of traffic and you're kind of weaving and bobbing through people to get to the press box. And I remember how surreal that night was. I got down onto the concourse and did not see a single human being. Um, other than the people who were on the field or, or some of the photographers who were you know shooting and again when I say some photographers I mean like two or three photographers in a, a walk that's probably you know a quarter of a mile or something whatever it is and it was bizarre uh, but but to your point Ari it does make you feel really good about being there because it put in perspective how few people were literally there seeing the start of you know it, not a historic season for a good reason at all but still historic, nonetheless, you know, a couple other ones that, that stand out. And I, and I won't include, you know, my favorite memory of the, of the season or of the baseball season, I guess was spring training. You know, the last weekend I was in Tampa. I I wrote about this in my press box, how normal and how great everything was, you know, it was a weekend where like, we just talked about Nathan and I had our families there and, Shared a lot of time together at the game and had so much fun. And you know, the next day, I ran the the Tampa half marathon, did an, um, uh, uh, an incredible opportunity to interview Garrett Cole and Glaber Torres, and spent like an hour with Garrett Cole. And it was just this like crazy day, and and all of that was accomplished by like you know eleven o'clock in the morning. And I I will say that's probably my favorite day of the season, but I I won't really count it only because it's it was before you know, things changed so drastically. And in, in many ways, that feels like it was still 2019. For me, I mean, you know, I think one of the, the proudest moments I had this year
2: was just, you know, receiving the, the 2020 Yankees yearbook, you know, for a while there, we weren't sure, you know, when it was going to come out or even if it was going to come out. The season was just so uncertain, but, you know, we finally we got to opening day in July and we were able to you know release the, the, the magazine in August and we were still kind of sitting waiting to see how things would play out. And, uh, you know, once we kind of determined that, OK, we want the yearbook to come out right at the end of the regular season, uh, we really had to crank it up a few notches and. Uh, you know, the result uh, is just a publication that I, I'm really proud of. I'm sure you guys are as well. Um, and just, you know, the way we were we were all able to come together <laughs> separately and, uh, and get that thing produced. Uh, I'll just, I'll always remember, you know, seeing it, holding the hard copy for the first time and looking at that cover and just being really proud of all the work that we put into it.
1: That's such a great answer. And I think I, I know that, All of us here share that. And yeah, I think this is true every year, but I think especially this year, you know, Ari, the work that you were able to do to make that publication come together alone this year as really our only photographer. And that doesn't just go for the action shots, that goes for things like the centerpiece of that publication this year, which was the team photo and things like that. The creativity that we had to use all year to figure out how to not only tell the stories, but also show the things that we're so used to taking for granted that you can just kind of go out there at any time and just grab a camera and go get the shot we need. Everything was harder this year. And if we did a good job of it, then I think our readers and listeners didn't always know how hard everything was this year. But that doesn't mean it wasn't. And there, there's Nate, like you, I find a lot of joy in looking back over the publications this year, and remembering the difficulties in making them seem easy. And I will say, it's funny, because Al, somewhat similar to you, when I look back at my best memories of this year, it's almost in the things that didn't ha- that didn't end up panning out, because it makes me optimistic for the idea of getting to do stuff like that again. Um, you know, there was one six-week stretch at the beginning of the year before the world collapsed, where I was in the Dominican Republic with Jason Dominguez, getting to tell that story. And then a few weeks later, I was in London, where... I did some of my favorite interviews I've ever done because I was talking to Yankees fans in London about how they experienced the London series in 2019 and, you know, what the future held and all this stuff and just kind of going around this city when it didn't feel real at the time. We didn't know where we were going to go, but obviously it was there. And yet, you know, I look back at that and those interviews and I don't think we're ever going to have a place to run them and it's a little bit of a bummer. But seeing how people from you know, across the ocean experienced getting a little taste of Yankees baseball and how they were able to envision what it would mean for the future and talking to MLB staffers in London about what they were doing to make it work and going to a sports bar a Philadelphia Phillies themed, but whatever, a, a baseball themed bar in London, and talking to the owner there about you know get all the different team groups that come in and you know eat cheesesteaks and watch American baseball at like you know two a.m. I really hope at some point I get to go back to that story because there were stories in there that I wanted to tell, and it again it makes me optimistic to think about the storytelling that hopefully we get to do sometime in the future again.
0: Yeah, John, I have a similar. <laughs> feelings sometimes um about one story in particular you know that was obviously there were things that happened this year that that far far go beyond the tragedy of a story not being published or whatever but you know i had this long dinner and spring training with tommy canely and his wife and um you guys read the story and edited it uh for me and Ari, you you pulled some great photos and went through it and you know, with my own ego, I guess it was like one of the favorite stories I'd ever written. I just loved it. I, I was so um, excited about it and I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to get it out. You know, and it's, it's a situation, it's a situation where one thing led to another, <laughs> all things that were, you know, unpredictable and predictable, you know, players get hurt. And then from the unpredictable side, you know, pandemic happened and everything got pushed back and all this stuff. And, you know, and now we're, you know, we're talking about a player who's a free agent and the story probably uh, unfortunately never sees the light of day, except, you know, like, you know, my, my family reading it or, or whatever, but.
1: Mind you, it becomes the second Tommy Canley story you've written. That I, will never see the light of day. Yeah.
0: I wasn't going to bring that part up. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, I want him to, to continue to, to, to like me a little bit and not think of me as, as too much of a jinx, but, but thank you though for mentioning that. I, I really appreciate it. That was really kind of you, especially around the holidays. Thank you, John. Um, but yeah, it's just the way it happens. And, you know, at least in, in in your case with your story, hopefully that'll be something that, you know, all those great stories within that story that the world does get to see, because like other things you've written, I'm sure it's great. And and uh, I, for one, hope to see it someday.
1: Ari, while we uh, have you here talking to us about some of the photos, you know, if I think the cop out answer that I would give for you know the the best photo you got to take this year is the team photo because of all the backstory in it and because of how much went into doing it. I'm curious, is there any other thing that you specifically remember when you know you felt like you're you had to tell a great story with a photo this year?
3: I mean, the team photo. You guys know it's normally not just me; it's a team effort from everyone in our department. Grounds crew helps me set up you know, the risers the guys stand on and this year because of the restrictions, you know, obviously we couldn't have the guys on top of each other, um, shoulder to shoulder. We couldn't have them in the location we normally did. So we had to improvise and scouting was, you know, something new because we've done the same background for, you know, however many years we've been taking the team photo and it was just a whole, and then added that, I wasn't allowed on the field. You know, it was just a whole nother layer. But I think the team photo overall came together great. I have more gray hair on top from it, but <laughs> we got it done.
1: And I should point out, not to cut you off, Ari, I-, I just want to point out, you know, obviously everything that we're doing with Yankees magazine is we're trying to document the history of this team. But the team photo is really like, that's something that you can go through just decades upon decades upon decades of Yankees team history. And it's, it's kind of like the ultimate, like, just mileage post almost, if you will, from one year to the next. And there was a time when it just seemed that people were going to shrug their shoulders and say like, look, there's no team photo this year. Like there are bigger tragedies, but much like making sure we got a yearbook out with all the difficulty there, there was something special in just saying, you know what, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to be hard, but we're going to figure out how to do this because it's important. And I think it's really special that it happened.
3: You know, it came together and I think we were all happy with it. It was, you know, the same background-ish that we normally use, just from a much further pulled back angle. But as in years past, it's a little tighter on the players this year, which kind of showed the stadium more, which is what I think really made the photo stand out.
1: But you're going to look at that and you're going to see, you're going to know always, oh, right, 2020. Right, right, right. And it looks like 2020. It doesn't look like any other year. It looks yeah. like 2020. And that's hard to do when it's just the players and you're trying to figure out who was there and who wasn't this year, it's telling such a story.
3: It was kind of weird. Cause it was since spring training, it was the first time I had really interacted with the players, you know, like prior to that, I'd spot guys here and there from my elevated positions. But for the most part, you know, I was on an Island by myself wandering the stadium to document and cover the games. But, um, I was on a, like a eight foot ladder shooting this team photo with, you know, six feet between each player. And it was just, you know, a much different look, but again, very happy with the outcome. Um, But in terms of like an overall photo that, you know, showed kind of the season, I think like any of the wider shots I took of game action, you know, the guys in pinstripes, you know, on the field playing a game, I feel, you know, that's just that was a season empty seats and, you know, just all of that.
1: And that was actually a weirdly fun part of the production process for me because Nate, you know, and and Ari, certainly you guys both, uh, know how much time we spend when we're going over like the seven photos that can go in a story and it's like well i hate i hate all the empty seats in this one or you know is someone going to get annoyed that there's an empty section in this one whereas this year it was like no no let's actually show all these like how many photos can we find where like the focal point of the photo is the empty seats and stuff like we're never gonna get to hopefully we never get to do that again but it was interesting to get to show baseball from a different perspective this year than we're used to seeing it
3: yeah and it was you know what it was it was a challenge but it was a challenge that I enjoyed because I've been doing this for many years now and like I said I was kind of forced to slow down with my approach to how I cover the game to tell it from a historic standpoint but also keep it you know close to what I normally do by documenting the game and the story of the game and it was definitely an interesting year and We'll see what 2021 holds for how we cover the games. But, you know, I'm ready for the challenge again, if, it you know, comparable to what we we had this past season.
2: Ari, I have a, a question for you while we're on that subject. So, um, you know, Clint Frazier was recently on Deep to Left and he talked about, you know, the difference of playing in front of empty stands and he had some really interesting comments on it. And I've noticed just from afar watching games on TV, the difference in like the announcers voices without the crowd there. It seems like when big moments happen, the announcers are not as enthusiastic as uh, they normally are uh, across all sports for you. Did you notice a difference like in shooting games when there's no crowd involved? Like, was there a, a, an adrenaline factor that you didn't know existed until it was taken away or anything like that? Like how much of crowd reaction impacts what you're doing down there?
3: For me, I'm looking through my lens. So, you know, depending on if I'm tracking the batter, if I'm tracking the picture, you know, like the, the reaction of whoever I'm tracking is going to help me dictate what just usually what happened. So a lot of times I didn't know what was happening because there was no crowd. Besides that like sleep sheep kind of like, you know, fuzzy noise that they played. So it was very hard to tell what was going on. I I don't know what it sounded like on TV so much, but like for me, a lot of how I know what is going on is based on the reaction of, you know, the home team when I'm on the road, you know, obviously the home team isn't going to be in favor of our team. But like when we're in Yankee Stadium, I know if it's good, bad or ugly.
1: I hope that we never have to do it this way again. Who knows what 2021 holds, I think at the very least, uh, for all the frustration, for all the difficulty right now, it is easy to see some light, uh, peeking, peeking through the tunnel. So, you know, guys, I, I know that I enjoyed even under these weird circumstances, trying to tell the story of the 2020 season with you, and I look forward to, uh, doing the same in 2021, hopefully with a bit more interaction and a bit more time together, but why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we get to do one of my favorite things every year, which is our mailbag episode, because this year, more than any before, we have some amazing questions to get to, so stick with us.
0: Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
4: Deep the left. Yastrzemski will not get his home run. Hey! And- run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now
0: lead it by a score three to two. Hey folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud
2: to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep the Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep the Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcasts or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you
1: by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And it's time to uh, head to the mailbox and open it up and see what we got in here this year because Yankees fans have sent us a ton of great questions to answer. As I said at the top... If we answer your question right now, you will get two free tickets to a future Yankees game. And if you do not get your question answered, but you do want those two free tickets, may I urge you to purchase a subscription to Yankees Magazine for $35. You get eight issues of the magazine plus two free tickets. So that's a deal you're not going to find anywhere else. But let's get right into this. So we're going to start off with Anthony Trotta at a Trotta 20 who asked, if we think the possibility of expanded rosters due to COVID still being around can influence who they re-sign or go after this offseason. And look, I assume this is obvious. Anytime anyone involved with the Yankees puts out anything right now, but certainly if they put out anything about um, questions or about signings or things like that, everyone just wants to hear who the Yankees are signing and why they're not signing this person and when they're announcing this person. And not only are we not going to talk about that, in Particular, we also don't know. I mean, we will know when they're going to sign X, Y, or Z the same time you do. But I do think this is an interesting thing to talk about because one thing that I, I feel is kind of hanging over this offseason a little bit is that there's still a lot of questions about roster size for next year, for example, and you know, the DH in the National League and things like that. So I think that the answer to Anthony's question, for me at least, is definitely yes. But not only is it going to influence who they re-sign or go after in this offseason, I think what you're seeing right now is that it's going to impact when people re-sign, because I think that there's a lot of information that still needs to be settled.
2: Yeah, I think that the DH question certainly needs to be answered first, because if I'm a National League GM, I'm kind of sitting there wondering how I need to go about constructing my roster going into next year. And I think, although we know, obviously, being an American League team that will have the DH, uh, you know, if Cashman's looking to make trades with the National League team, uh, that's a pretty big question that needs to be answered.
1: For sure. So I think that that's a, you know, like I said, uh, if you're if you're hoping that the answers to these questions are yes, the team is going to announce this signing on this date, and wait until you see the trade that they just pulled off, uh, that th- that's not what we're here to do. But it's a great question, Anthony. Thanks for asking it. I do think that there is definitely an impact right now on the uncertainty of roster construction on on what we're seeing. So, you know, again, that's probably unsatisfying in some ways, but stick with it. Eventually there will be, you assume, a baseball season, and there will be rosters, and the Yankees will have a team on the field. So hopefully a couple hours at least before then, you know what the Yankees team looks like. Next question we have from Corey Clark at Corey Clark Radio. He asked us in particular – in your two decades of MLB coverage, what's your most memorable day? And I, I I would love to put this out to everyone. Al, why don't you go first? What's your most memorable day of MLB coverage?
0: Corey, that's a great question, and you know, one that I enjoy thinking about and and certainly enjoy answering. It comes down to a couple different days. the The true answer is. Uh, November fourth, two thousand and nine, uh, because that was the night that you know we won the World Series, the two thousand and nine World Series, and as a person who longed to to work for um, a professional sports team since he was a, a child, literally having the opportunity to you know in a small small way be a part of that that was absolutely spectacular. I remember so many details about that night. I remember the party in the, in the legends club with our front office after the game. I remember being on the field after the game, just, just those memories and and sharing it with, you know, with my wife, um, with my dad and, and with my cousin who was, who had flown out for the game, I guess just that, you know, post game, those hours after the game. And I've asked so many players in interviews, you know, what were those hours after, winning a championship like for you? And I guess I've asked that question a lot more since then, because it's just fun to compare and, and just think about it because it's, it's unlike anything else. And the other, you know, event that, that was really special to, to cover at Yankee stadium was, was Derek Jeter's last game. And I don't really need to share my take on that that much because it, everybody who is a Yankees fan and probably listening to this podcast was there, I, you know, was there in, in spirit or, or in person and, and saw how amazing that, you know, that ending to his career was, um, just what, what transpired on the field. Um, I went to Fenway Park a couple of days later for his last game. I had my, my son who was seven at the time, I think, um, sitting on my lap, you know, watching, you know, Derek's last, um, uh, last at bat. And and of course those are, are special and and spectacular, uh, memories. And then away from Yankee stadium, interviewing George Bush and and Bill Clinton on separate occasions, but for, for our art of sport piece, doing those pieces with them and with each of them, uh, you know, sitting with, with each of them for, for upwards of a half hour, those are our memories that I, I take with me forever. Um, so uh, Corey, I, I, that was probably a little bit more lo- long winded than you uh, wanted, but I couldn't leave any of those, those things out.
3: I mean, I, I can't say one specific day, but just like Al, I mean, there's been so many amazing memories, but definitely November 4th, 2009, after the world series, but I'd also say the final game at the old stadium in 2008, we spent. So much time that season, just documenting as much as possible. Nathan spent a lot of time with me wandering the stadium, shooting the stadium from different angles just to, you know, photograph every nook and cranny of that stadium um, before it was torn down. It's very hard to pinpoint just one specific thing. Um, The travels that the job has afforded me going to the DR after we won the World Series like a week before I got married to go on the trophy tour, going to Curacao with Al and doing the stuff with Didi and Curacao. And then for like a personal thing was Jeter's final year. I was very, very pregnant with my second child. And my goal was to make it to opening day, April 7th, 2014, um, before I went on maternity leave and I made it. I didn't have my child that day. I had her three days later.
1: All of us, all of us had a heart attack that day watching you out there, but
3: I was just having my water didn't break and, you know, ruin the pregame ceremonies, but I made it that opening day. And then I came back after maternity leave for his final game, which Al spoke about. And it was just one of those like scripted moments that you couldn't even like script yourself if you try, but it was just you know, picture perfect and only way Jeter would go out, you know, at Yankee stadium like that.
2: Yeah. For me, I mean, obviously, you know, like you guys, there's, there's so many to, to go through, but um, my mind also went back to that final game at Yankee stadium because, you know, I had been hired about a, a little more than a year before that specifically to document, Yankee Stadium, Uh, you know, my first year on the job was working on a, a magazine separate from Yankees magazine called The Stadium that, you know, went through the whole history of Yankee Stadium decade by decade. So I was immersed in the history of Yankee Stadium, which was, you know, the place I grew up going to games with my family and friends to begin with. And then we get into the 2008 season and, you know, this place that means so much to me and so much to so many other millions of people. The clock is ticking down, you know, they had that ticker on the center field scoreboard that was counting down the days. And when that last day finally arrived, it was almost overwhelming. I mean, the Yankees did such an amazing job with that send-off ceremony, you know, bringing back the former players and bring out the quote unquote 1923 Yankees, letting the fans walk around the warning track to say goodbye before the game. It was just, just a really, really amazing experience then kind of related to that on a you know sort of a more personal like quieter note one day I will never ever forget it was probably I guess January or February following that so early 2009 when we officially moved into the new stadium and Ari I'm sure you remember you know we Ari and I shared an office at the old stadium and you know we're sitting in there it's kind of getting late. It's dark out. And there's a few of our other coworkers just kind of huddled in our office. We were like among the last to get the phone call. Everybody was just waiting for the phone to ring in their office uh, from, uh, and them to say, okay, we're ready for you. And then we literally picked up our, you know, last little box of personal belongings and walked it across the street and into our new home. And I just, it was just an amazing feeling to think about uh, just how, lucky we were to be there in that moment. You know, I mean, the last people to walk a, bo- a box of personal belongings into a new Yankee stadium was probably uh, <laughs> walking from the polo grounds to, to Yankee stadium in 1923. So uh, it, it's not something that happens every day. And it, it just really, that moment kind of made me feel like uh, part of the family, I think more, more so than anything that had occurred up to that point.
3: I forgot you that I would, you know what, that really was, I mean, I have so many pictures from that day too, just behind the scenes that, you know, more personal pictures of us and our coworkers, to get that call and going up on the roof of the old stadium, looking over at the new stadium, just waiting to get over and going on the field, right? Like, you know, it was covered in snow. Al, you were with us for some of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I remember it vividly. And then, you know, walking into the new stadium and you put your stuff down and you're like, okay, like, it's like buying a new house, you know. You walk in and you're like, "Okay, this is our new home. Let's let's make it feel like home." And uh, we sure did that,
0: that first year.
1: <laughs> Those are such great answers. I feel like it's important for me to give a non-Yankees answer, but I'll give two. I'll give a Yankees answer and a non-Yankees answer. The Yankees one is my first great trip that I did for Yankees Magazine. You know, I had spent about a decade before that uh, writing baseball for MLB, and. Really, all the travel I did, to the extent I did much, it was really where the games were. It was going to stadiums. It was going to cover games. And the thing I'll speak about next, I got to see some amazing games that I'll cherish forever. But I'll never forget going, kind of being told, I think it was by Al, to go to Puerto Rico with Carlos Beltran. And Carlos Beltran, at the time, was and still is probably my favorite baseball player that I've ever watched. And... I had never had a reporting trip like this where it wasn't about something related to a baseball game. It was just hanging out at his house for a while, going out to eat with him, chatting with him, getting to see him, you know, having him show us around this town that means so much to him, taking us out to the beach where, you know, he used to go running and things like that. And it was just like, you mean this is what my job is now? Like this, this is the way I get to cover baseball now. And it opened me up to a new form of storytelling. I felt and a new form of just kind of experiencing, different people from different parts of the world um, who share this common thing of baseball in ways that I really hadn't for my years of just covering baseball by kind of being where the baseball game was. And I came back shell-shocked in a lot of ways, but in a good way at what this job could afford me. And again, it's something I, I, I look forward to hopefully getting again. But the flip side of that, and it's a kind of a weird story in some ways because it involves something good happening to the St. Louis Cardinals, who are like my sworn anem- enemies, but I... In the 2011 World Series, I was at MLB. I hadn't told anyone this yet, but I knew it was going to be my last World Series working for MLB. Uh, my wife was pregnant, and I knew that when we had the baby and she was going to go back to work, that I was going to try something different. I had been in MLB for a while. And the weird thing about that World Series was that my wife's cousin was getting married in Cabo the day after what would have been Game 7. So it was a little bit like... A little bit hairy, but I figured, you know, this is 2011. We haven't had a seven-game World Series since 2002, I think. Yeah, those don't happen anymore. Um, It's fine. I'll work it all out. And it's it's the Cardinals against the Rangers. It's a fun and interesting series. A lot of... A lot of fun stuff happened leading up to the incredible drama of Game 6 that people forget about. You had the three-home run game for Albert Pujols. You had that crazy performance by Mike Napoli and everything. It it, it was a fun series in a lot of ways. But on the travel day back to St. Louis, they rained out Game 6. And it ended up not really raining that day that much, but it was still the right choice. They they rained it out. It looked like the weather was going to be terrible. But that meant that instead of being able to fly home and then fly to Cabo, I had to figure out some way to get to Cabo. And my only hope was that the series ended in six games, which meant that the Rangers would win. And instead, game six turns into... This horrible, horrible first half of a game where, I mean, again, I don't know how much people remember balls were bouncing off people's heads. There were like seven errors committed in the first five innings. It was just this gross game. And then all of a sudden you have in the ninth inning, the incredible comeback by the Cardinals. And I, I, I'll never forget, I'm, I'm watching this happen knowing that like my plan to go to celebrate like, you know, the World Series ending in Cabo is just dying because the Cardinals of all teams are coming back. And yet, how could I possibly not want to see the series go seven games? And I've always been very partial, especially when I'm neutral in any series. I, I just want the home team to win. A home clinch is a million times better than a road clinch. Uh, the energy, all that you want if you're at a game... Game as a neutral fan is for it to be for the fans to be into it and exciting. I will never forget the sound of Bush Stadium when all of a sudden it became clear that Nelson Cruz wasn't going to catch that ball. It, I, I. It's just one of those lucky moments from a life in baseball that I can close my eyes and summon right now every part of that moment. And again. I never would have believed that my best moment in baseball would involve the Cardinals winning an amazing game. But
2: there you have it. That was an amazing game. Yeah, that's that's really cool you were it, there for And
1: that. honestly, I, I sat there and then the next night knowing I didn't know I was going to come work for the Yankees two years later. I was wondering if this was the last World Series game I was ever going to be at. And it was the only seven-game World Series that I covered because I covered so many bad World Series <laughs> that for, to, for, for that one to be my last one was uh, – pretty remarkable but Corey, great question i think that we uh we went a bit long on that one so let's move right now to kenny klein at the big deal kenny he said it um so here we go 21 has not been worn in 12 years and that was the two-week LaTroy hawkins fiasco <laughs> first off laughing at that do we ever see paul o'neill in monument park First off, I, I think we need to be clear here. Paul O'Neill is in Monument Park. He does have a plaque in there, but I'm going to assume Kenny meant, um, do we ever see his number retired? I'm actually going to add a second piece to this question. And I will ask each of you to weigh in. If 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 not, if yes, then you could just say that is the answer. But if not, who do you think is the next number that goes on the wall?
3: 52.
1: 52. You think that's the next one?
3: I, I feel like they went through kind of... Uh, um players that played in the decades before him, and they've kind of, uh, I think, um, done all the guys that they would have done. I feel like he he was with the team for 10 years. He definitely left an indelible mark on the Yankees, and he continues to leave a mark. I 100% think CC
2: John, I'll say number 21, but I'm going to throw this at you. It might be 21 league-wide. That's a good point.
1: I mean although although we should also point out that the Yankees have four have 242s on their wall so they could have 221s but that's a mm. that's a tremendous point um and obviously what Nate's referring to there is the possibility that maybe we see a similar tribute to Roberto Clemente that we've seen for Jackie Robinson that's an interesting idea i i think that that's a real possibility for sure
0: i i hope it gets retired league wide i think that would be Tremendous, and um, I'm glad you brought it up, Nate, because it's it, it, the only way that it's going to happen is if if people are talking about it.
1: I'm going to throw a different number out there that I'm a little bit surprised hasn't been retired, because um, Ari, Ari, with what you said, you're you're right. I, I think I think 52 is the next number to go up. I'm a little surprised 55 isn't up there, and I'm not suggesting that it's because of. Hideki Matsui being the best player ever or anything like that, I I just think that if you look at the numbers that are up on that wall, not every one of them is just because the team won seven World Series during his career there. I I think that Hideki Matsui has a really special place in Yankees history, and and I think it would be very meaningful, not even just from a marketing perspective. for, For a lot of Yankees fans, I think it would be very meaningful to have his number up there. I think he represents a lot of what the Yankees are globally, and I, like I said, I, I, I've i thought for a while that if they were going to put another number up there, that it, it, he would be the next one. And usually I have to convince people who disagree with me. In this case, though, I disagree with me because I think Ari is right. I think 52 is the next number up there. I think that's, I think that's the right answer. So good work there.
0: I'm going to agree with her, too. And the reason I, I do agree is because of longevity. You know, I mean, I think what the contributions that Hideki Matsui made to the Yankees were great, especially, you know, with uh, a signature moment. And, and, and also like you said, John, what he represents from a global standpoint, doing all the things he did the only pushback I have with him. And and that I'll say about, uh, and he was one of my favorite players that I ever covered and personally as as well. But, you know, when you look at somebody like CC Sabathia, it's nice when the players done it for a double digit number of years, you know, and, and that's what he did. And there were ups and there were downs, but there were, you know, there was perseverance for more than a decade. And um, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest reason. And I'm going to throw one other one out. It's not going to be the next number. It's kind of a wild card and it could happen someday. And again, for the same reason, he's been a great, great Yankees player. And a really, I'll say consistent Yankees player for a long time. And this might be some somewhere, pretty far down the road and maybe it's not a, a number retirement but just a place in monument park but that's Brett Gardner somebody who as Brian Cashman has said so many times literally epitomizes everything the Yankees are everything they want to be from from his hard work from his leadership and quiet leadership and all that stuff and that might be a wild card or dark horse or whatever and it probably is. And it probably, you know, may never happen and, and certainly it might not happen for a long time. And it might just be a, a place in Monument park, but if it was, I would be, um, I would be cheering that day. Good answers. Everybody. Next question.
1: Very important one. Um I've given this a lot of thought myself, but we'll see what everyone else has to say. Richard silver at silver spree eight asks if George Costanza pulled off the trade for bonds and Griffey, how many World Series do the Yankees win? Now, for those of you who don't remember this episode, this is the episode where everyone thought George was dead because his car broke down in the Yankee Stadium parking lot. And at the very end of the episode, he comes into Steinbrenner's office in like a cane and there are crutches and bandages. And he says he thinks he's figured out a way to get Bonds and Griffey. Griffey, both. I believe, if I remember correctly, going the other way was going to be Bernie Williams and Jim Lairitz. Um, I could be wrong about that. But so that's the question. The episode, mind you, aired in 1996. So how many World Series did the Yankees win? And I'm going to throw it out there. I don't think they win more World Series than they won without those guys. I don't know how you can make the argument that they win more than the four World Series with those guys. Do they maybe win one more? Maybe, but I, I, I'm i not sure that that would have really moved the needle that much.
3: i give him one more.
2: One more? I'm just glad that it didn't happen because it, it pains me to think about trading away Bernie Williams. <laughs> also, didn't Ken Griffey Jr. said he didn't want to play for the Yankees? Yeah, well,
1: I don't think it ever reached the point in the deal of, you know, going to his no trade clause or anything like that. I'm not sure that the writers got that <laughs> deep into it, but... Uh, you know, once, we, once we've once we made George Costanza the general manager I think that we are entering the world of hypotheticals enough to not necessarily worry about contract clauses
0: yeah and just for Nate for just for the you know just so you know this was just a TV show like this you know this is, wasn't real
3: Al is the one who's clarifying the pop culture reference
0: mm-hmm. well <laughs> somebody's got to do it somebody's <laughs> got to step up to the plate here so guys while we have
1: Bernie Williams on the mind I think I know Al has thoughts on this one the question is from Paul at W-O-R-O-B-E-Y underscore 11. Is that Woe Roby? Whatever. Um, The question is, if you could have Bernie Williams play you one song on the guitar, what are you picking?
2: If Bernie wants to play me a song on guitar, it can be his choice. I'll happily sit and listen to Bernie Williams play anything his heart desires on guitar. And maybe he'll teach me how to play it afterwards.
3: What do you got,
1: Ari? What's Bernie going to serenade you with?
3: I don't know, something like classic rock, like Stones or Beatles or something. I don't, I don't I can't think of like one like song that I'm like god, it's the best guitar riff I've ever heard that I'd be like that's what I want to hear. I need to call my husband and ask him. He'd be better at that.
0: <laughs> what do you say? Al? You know, I have a, a a sentimental song that I remember um my wife put on like a a photo frame you know electronic photo frame for me with with photos of my son I, and I, as ari will i'm sure share with the world my you know my knowledge of, of of music or my music acumen is pretty weak but here comes the sun was always like a sentimental song and i've heard it you know just being played uh, on guitar and it sounds beautiful and i'm sure he would do a great job with it so i'll i'll hit you guys with that one
1: good answer's all i think i'm gonna go with a. Uh... The divided sky by fish um i really <laughs> i just want to see what nice. bernie can bring to that one for us all um but thank thank you paul that would Great be awesome there uh next question we have from uh brad melzer uh, international best-selling author at brad melzer are you bringing back author first pitches Hey, we don't know, maybe. But thanks for reaching out, Brad. We appreciate it. Uh, I'll get in touch with you about two free tickets. <laughs> um, moving on, Joshua Warner at J Warner forty four wants to know who will be the biggest X factor for the Yankees next season.
2: John, define X factor. What do we mean by X factor? I think that I think
1: what we mean by X factor is whatever you want to say. I don't know. I don't know. It's an X factor. <laughs>
3: Someone that you is going to surprise you with how dominant they are, right?
0: Could
2: be, like Garrett Cole is not
0: going to be an expert. No, he's probably going to be pretty good. I think the expectation is he'll he'll be decent. What is the biggest
1: variable, if you will, between greatness and less than in twenty
0: twenty one? Well, you guys redefine the question here. Define the question. I'm going to say Aaron Judge because. He obviously, every single season, has the potential to be not only an MVP candidate, an MVP. And obviously, injuries have, um, you know, derailed some of those campaigns. And if he's healthy, he will be in the conversation for the American League MVP award and will be one of the players who will carry the Yankees in 2021. And I think his body, let's say, is the X factor.
3: I got two. Stevie's coming back. So I'm going to go with Sevi. I think he's going to come back and dominate. And then I'm going to go with Clint. I think this season really gave him like a boost and he really showed how much work he put into the offseason to improve on, on his defense, which was where he was struggling in the past. When you think about how much black he got for his defensive play, I mean, that's pretty incredible. What do you got, Nate? I'm going to go
2: deep dive, kind of dark horse. I'm going to say Miguel Jahure, because I like to say his last name first of all, but also he's I think a somebody who's you know kind of below the radar right now. But I think he's he's going to blossom into something special. He was a he had a dynamite year for the Tampa Tarpons in 2019. He was named a postseason All Star. He's like one of our I think he's this Baseball America ranked him like our seventh best prospect. I think he's the only pitchers ahead of him on that list are like Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, and Luis Heel. So Miguel Jehure. It's a name to watch out for. I'm going with him. He's going to be an X-factor. I
1: think that's a fair answer. So I'm going to go a bit more mainstream, if you will, than Miguel Jaure. I'm going to say I'm also torn between two ideas here, kind of from a similar perspective. First off, Gary Sanchez. I just think that the fact of the matter is this is no knock on the other guys that the Yankees have at the catcher position right now. But assuming the Yankees don't go after a big free agent catcher this year and make a trade for one. There is simply no question that the team is at its best when Gary Sanchez is thriving. We know what he can do with the bat. We know what he the strides he can make defensively. I just think that I made it a pretty firm policy not to make sweeping judgments about anybody in any field in 2020. I don't think that the year allowed for that kind of judgment and i'm gonna stand by it i'm willing to see uh, what gary has in, in in a full fresh year and the other one i'll say is david Garcia and i mean that from two perspectives number one because i think he tells even before the season starts i think he tells a lot of the story of a 2021 season in the sense that is he a starter from day one is he part of the team from day one and if he's not, that probably means that the Yankees made a lot of big splashes in free agency or in the trade market, which could trade, change things in in one way. But if he is on the field, obviously, we saw how dominant he could be. We saw how frustrating he could be for batters to face. And that was in a weird short season. And we haven't seen him really get to do a full February spring training and then be with the team from April through. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he has. i I know that people still have incredibly high hopes for him. I do. I loved watching a pitch last year and I look forward to seeing a lot more of it. But I think that if we see a lot of successful David Garcia in 2021, that probably means it's a very successful Yankees season. So those are my two answers guys. I think that that, uh, it's just a good look at some of the amazing questions we got this year. I had a lot of fun going through them all, uh, as always, by all means, keep sending us questions, even though, uh, this mailbag episode is over, but I, I, I hope you guys had as much fun with those as I did.
2: Absolutely. Always good to hear from the readers and the listeners.
1: Very true. So that is the end of 2020 for the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Guys, can't thank you all enough for being part of the ride. Ari, thanks for joining us this time and the other couple of times you came in this year. But it has been, it's, it's been a year to forget in a lot of ways, but uh, it's fun to look back at the things to remember, I guess.
3: Thank you for including me and happy, healthy to everyone, to the listeners, to you three and may 2021 be a little less dramatic as 2020 was.
1: Absolutely. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for participating. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for telling all your friends to subscribe. And I hope that uh, you guys just have a really pleasant end to your year. And then I hope you have a 2021 that makes you forget about all the misery of 2020. (laughs) <laughs> so let's, uh, let, let's move into 2021 together and uh, let's not look back. But for everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. And before you go, I just want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you like to hear from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast that Bucky hosts. The most recent episode features CeCe Sabathia talking about his HBO documentary Under the Grapefruit Tree. It premiered on December 22nd, but you can find it now on HBO Max. I urge you to do so. It's great. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review or leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for our Yankees Magazine subscribers, we're so grateful for your help in keeping our magazine going. If you're looking to renew your subscription or to start a new one, there's no better time than right now. We have incredible offers available that include throw-ins like free tickets, commemorative magazines, you name it. You can even buy a package that includes the ability to participate in a segment on a future episode of this podcast, which is a really cool offer. Call 800 goyanks for details or visit yankees.com publications. Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. That's it. See you next time. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and go Yanks!
4: Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what
0: you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees!
1: The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.
4: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best